What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to a podcast about New York sports. Sam and Matt back here after a little bit of a drought, a little bit of a, a slow season in the sports world. So uh, definitely want to take a little bit of a, a break ourselves. Definitely much needed all-star break in the NBA. Very cool to see some of the Knicks there. Uh, coaching change in Brooklyn. Baseball right around the corner. We got a lot to talk about today. We want to jump right into it. Matt, how are we doing today? I'm doing all right. Uh, what did you enjoy most about the All-Star Weekend? Because, you know, personally, I think kind of the game is getting, you know, worse and worse every year. Not really an indictment on the NBA. It's it's tough to watch in any sport. But uh, what did you really enjoy about it? Because, I mean, yeah, the, the dunk contest was okay. Mac McClung back-to-back years. But anything that stuck out to you? Well, I mean, in... In a personal Knicks fan standpoint, I just felt like a a proud dad seeing Jalen Brunson there. Mm-hmm. So that was probably my favorite thing. It was cool to see him in the three-point contest. Uh, you know, even even seeing Jacob Toppin in the dunk contest and then Obi Toppin there as well and just kind of having the Knicks ties there. Uh, that was pretty cool. But I'll be honest, I, I didn't really watch really too, too much of it. I only caught like bits and pieces of the game even. I have my my own basketball game to attend to, as a matter of fact, ironically enough. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm i over it. And I think that I've thought this for a while, and I, I don't even know if I brought this up on the pod before, but I almost think that in all sports, maybe not baseball, because baseball is still a pretty pretty decent product there. But that's the I only one. The only, yeah, the only one that's even remotely close to watchable, I will say. Um, but I think, you know, being an all-star should almost just be like, an honor slash award more so than like a game, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And you could still find, you know, cool things to do with that weekend. If you want to fly the players out somewhere and put on something, watch what, but the games, man, and at this day and age in 2024, the game is just not it anymore. And people don't, it's, it's the lack of the the defensive uh, intensity. It's a lack of, you know, look, I get it. You want to see the highlights. You want to see the best players play, you know, make their their signature shots and in their signature shoes and whatnot. And it just becomes such a spectacle that it's it's so far from the game, right? Yeah. Yep. So, but not far from the game. The Knicks uh, come out of the All-Star break last night with a big win against the 76ers. No Embiid there still for the 76ers, still to be determined whether he comes back this season. But 110-96. Uh, and I think the best thing that came out of the game last night was you know, Jalen Brunson did not have the best game. Five of 18 from the field, uh, 11 for 11 from the free throw line. Didn't make a single uh, three-pointer in the entire game. Had seven turnovers. But the Knicks just find a way. I mean, Josh Hart playing 44 minutes, 18 points, 12 rebounds. Precious Achua, 18 points, 11 rebounds in 38 minutes. Look, you can say what you want about Thibs running guys into the ground, and I've been on here, you know, complaining about it, but you get – you get some guys that just absolutely shine, you know, when you, you find a rhythm on the court, you find a, a solid five that you can, that, that are playing well together. You get uh, Bogdanovich in a, his first big game as the Nick. He goes six for six from three, 22 points was absolutely on fire yesterday. How about that? I, I liked, I liked the, what I saw a lot out of the Knicks yesterday. Yeah. So take me through that with Jalen Brunson, not performing. I know, I know you just took me through some of the performances, especially Boban Bogdanovich, but, how do the Knicks get into, a, you know, a flow of a game like that against a tough Sixer team? Like you said, obviously still no Embiid, but really still know anyone on the Knicks and they find a way to edge Philadelphia. Boss. <laughs> well, I, it's looking at the standings and I'm not really a big, you know, early standings guy, but, you know, that we're about 
three quarters of the way through the season here, and that was a sneaky big win against a team that, you know, right now the Sixers are under you by, I believe, two games now with that one last night. You find yourself in that fourth playoff spot as of right now. Uh, Bucks are only one one win ahead of you in the in the win column. Cavaliers, two wins ahead of you. The Celtics, you know, 44 wins to the Knicks, 34. So a little bit out of reach there for the one seed. But look, these games are going to be more and more important. The, the Knicks are going to, going to have much more meaning on, on each and every game that they play going forward. They play have a huge game against the Celtics on Saturday where they'll get the Celtics at home. Again, most likely no Randall, still TBD on, on OG Ananobi's status. That's getting quite concerning, if we're, if we're being honest. We haven't seen OG Ananobi in a few weeks now. So, uh, you know, not not much news there. The, the Randall part of it is interesting because yesterday Randall comes out, or maybe two days ago, and Randall comes out and still kind of puts a bit of a pause on the whole idea of, you know, he's going to get surgery or might not need surgery, and he's still kind of on the fence about it. So, you know, he's he's kind of just – just chilling and trying to heal up, I guess, naturally versus getting in, uh, any sort of surgery. So I really don't know if that's a good thing or not. Well, I guess it's commendable at the very least, because, you know, obviously if Randall goes under the knife anytime this season, his season is over. So maybe it's just kind of seeing what the Knicks are up to and saying, man, I'd really love to play out the season with these guys. Obviously, you hope that he doesn't need surgery, and this is something that gets delayed a certain amount of time. But, you know, I, I kind of trust what's going on there. And if news ever does come down the pipeline that he's not going to need surgery, he's going to be okay, then uh, I think we're all going to be grateful that he elected not to because they, they do need him on the court. Yeah, and, and the Knicks are almost in a uh, scenario here where it's – Look, they're they're pretty comfortably in. I don't want to, you know, jinx anything or be the one that that all Nick fans are going to run back to and say that I jinxed it. But I think they're pretty comfortably in some sort of playoff seed, right? Like you're the four seed with about a quarter of the season to go. You're you're pretty cemented in at you know at least a play-in game, right? So I think it would take a catastrophic loss for the Knicks to fall out of that. Ideally, you want one of those first couple seeds because you want the home court advantage. But my point in saying all this is I think that just having Randall on the horizon of being healthy and just the the potential of Randall joining a team that, look, let's be honest, with or without Randall, this is a good, solid team that plays good basketball, especially post-trade deadline. So I think that it's almost like, you know, we talk, we're going to talk Yankees and Mets, but the Yankees are the kings of this where they'll lose a guy, you know, early on in the season due to injury. He'll be out for a while. And then they'll just look at that as when he returns, it's like an acquisition. And I think that the Knicks can kind of take that thinking more so towards the playoffs and getting, you know, looking down the line with Randall healthy and not saying they don't need him now and it won't help now, but I think just having, this roster like it is now and playing the way you're playing right now and just having Randall there in the future, I think is, is fine and, and, and all well there. Yeah. And I hear what you're saying. I mean, there, there's nothing to worry about in terms of, you know, a playoff landing spot, but you know, I think if you're a Knicks fan, you, you've been enjoying the four seed and it would really be a shame to go, man, the injury bug just hit at the wrong time. And, and here we are kind of, you know, back where we used to be. Yeah. And well, let me, let me pause there for a second because I think, and this might be a big statement and I, I'm not necessarily, this isn't like a, a statement out of weakness. Cause I really do think the Knicks, when they play great basketball and they're fully healthy, they can, they can hang with anyone. I'm, I'm a, I truly, truly believe that. But I think that, you know, looking at the bigger picture of this, 
is it fair to say that, you know, let's just say you make the playoffs and you, uh, you know, you win a couple of games. Let's just say you, you get a bad draw and you end up playing a Bucks team and lose to the Bucks in the first round. Let, let's just say for argument's sake, do you think like, are you ready to just chalk this season up as a success for the Knicks franchise as a whole? You found Jalen, not found, but the emergence of Jalen Brunson as an MVP candidate. Now the culture, you have guys all around the league almost begging to play for you. Uh, Thibodeau is most likely going to be up there for a coach of the year candidate. Might not win, but there'll definitely be a case to be made. Would you classify this season so far as just an overall win for this franchise? Yeah, I think you have to. And barring some sort of, you know, just insane drop off while healthy or something, I think you're going to have to look at the season as a success. But, you know, if something were to you really fall off the rails due to injury or maybe you really don't have any playoff success. Like you just said, maybe you have a, a rough draw. You, you face the Bucks and you lose. Still look at the season as a success and, you know, it not make the pill any easier to swallow. Yeah, it's 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 the argument of, you know, would you rather have the, uh, I guess, sustained success versus would you rather have a short burst of success where, you, you know, you're you're winning maybe maybe you get to the Eastern Conference Finals and you kind of sell out for that Eastern Conference Finals versus building something. And I think what the Knicks are doing now is they've built something. The the groundwork is there. They've laid out all the the blueprints. And now, just like they did the deadline, and I think they're going to continue to do into the offseason, uh, adding around the edges as well as looking for that next superstar that can really put you over the hump. So I think it, as a whole, and this is not me – Again, not me writing off the Knicks in terms of this season at whatsoever. But if we're if we're really looking at this, and let's just say the season ended today, this is this was a successful season for the Knicks franchise. I think it's safe to say yeah. that. Hundred uh, percent. Do you so, want to talk about another team that's maybe a little earlier than the Knicks uh, in terms of the building blocks and, and starting to put together a foundation in the New York Mets and Queens? Yes. Uh, well. Let's 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 first mention the uh the 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 other team the other basketball team in town. Is that what you're alluding to? There's another basketball team in town. There, there is, and they just fired their head coach, uh, Jock Vaughn, who I thought was a you know I have my deep deeper thoughts about the Nets in terms of you know the chain reaction that Kyrie and Kevin Durant kind of brought there and left there as well. Scorched earth, we can we'll put it nicely. I think that the, the Nets are kind of running in place a little bit. And, and I was very, you know, Mikhail Bridges is a, a great player. We've sung his praises here multiple times. I've been begging the Knicks to get him uh, to complete the Villanova gauntlet there. But the Nets dismiss Jacques Vaughn. I, I think they're kind of in a – let me put it this way. I'm watching the K show the other day. I just have it on my TV. And, you know, when they, they go to like that, like a little small screen with a Yes Network advertisement all wrapped around it. Yep. The Yes Network advertisement was an advertisement of a Raptors-Nets game later that day, and the player they chose to advertise was Dennis Schroeder. Yeah. Like, that's rough. That's tough. Yeah, well, you know what? I, I will give Yes props because there was a while where months after the, you know, quote-unquote big three had already disbanded, you would see Kyrie and Katie all over the app. <laughs> yeah, well, they couldn't They couldn't get enough. They were, yeah. <laughs> uh, they were, they were just begging to get all those images out. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what the Nets do. To me, I almost feel like there's there's so many just just looking at that roster there. And I'm not I'm definitely not going to go parse through each and every guy of that roster and all their contracts and whatnot. But, you know, 
outside of Mikhail Bridges, Cam Thomas is a nice player, probably a, a, a third best player on, on a good team, maybe even fourth. I'd say Mikhail Bridges could probably be the the 1B to someone's really, really good 1A, maybe even like a 1C even. Um, I almost think that it would be in the Nets' best interest to really just, you know, blow it up and, and try and not necessarily maybe for this draft, but just getting future draft capital and letting some of the young guys uh, that they already have there play. They'll probably end up with a decent pick this year. Um, it, it's a... Uh, it's it's a tough time to be a net fan, but I think that the the fact that you you know you don't really have any crazy contracts, you don't really have anything that's you know kind of hanging over your head. Yeah, you you burned yourself with the the quote unquote big three, but I think that there's something there. But I, I think that they're they've been, they've gone so many routes, so many different routes in the past couple of years that they kind of messed themselves up and kind of just been trying to get back on track, and it just hasn't been good. So. You know, find a coach. The uh, assistant steps in as the interim. See, how, let's see how he does. They lose last night to the Raptors in, a, in a, a really rough game for them. Not that you know you're really expecting much from the Nets this year, but yeah, just uh, just rough times if you're a Net fan. So uh, look, yeah. as, so as how, a Nick fan, has, uh, how long has, has Brooklyn been around? When did they move to Brooklyn? Twenty twelve, something like that. So let's say they've been there about twelve years, and we're calling for them to blow it up once again. Has any team ever utilized the reset button more than the Nets in their 12 short years in New York? Good question. No, I don't don't have one that's more off the top of my head. So it's they're definitely up there in the conversation. And it's um, look again, like here's the thing, though, like there's been some dark Knicks years where, you know, you're you're rooting guys that are, aren't in the league anymore. Right. And those are your guys that are on your advertisements and on the you know people are, quote unquote, paying to see. Like the Nets are not that. Like the Nets aren't the the Pistons, but they're they're just so in the middle of the middle that it's you're kind of in. You almost rather be the Pistons. Yeah, you know. So it's just a tough place to be. Again, Mikael Bridges, Cam Thomas, great players. There's some. Uh, there's definitely some you know good pieces there. I think would would garner some very very interesting uh, trade assets and and trade price and conversations, but. Uh, will we'll remain to be seen to the offseason. Um, anything else on either Nets or Knicks before we head over to baseball? Because we are very excited to talk about some baseball. Uh, nothing at the moment. You said Knicks back in action Saturday? Knicks uh, sat. We're recording this Friday afternoon. Yeah. Knicks back in action Saturday against the Celtics. Um, a big game, and uh, the Garden's going to be electric. I believe that is a nationally televised game. If not, someone messed up. But um, Yeah, and, and let, me, let me also uh, note the uh... – the Blue Shirts yesterday, five to one victory over New Jersey, uh, right here in our neck of the woods over in Newark. Uh, Rangers uh, staying hot. Yeah, it was. I watched actually my my two screens yesterday were usually dedicated both to basketball, but I did watch a, a large portion of this game, probably the first entire two periods before it started to get a little bit out of hand there. Um, kind of a rough and crazy game, right? Like to me, and look again. Not very novice. I understand hockey. I, I you know, I, I understand, you know, what teams are good and what teams are not good, so on and so forth. I obviously understand the significance of, of Devils Rangers. To me, and please correct me if I'm wrong, yesterday seemed like it was the Rangers were the men and the Devils were the boys. They were just, I felt it like did. the Devils were just getting bullied. It did. I think a lot of these kind of rivalry wins uh from the Rangers are really them kind of making a statement after you know they, they did get knocked out of the playoffs by this team just a few months ago 
Yeah, and and almost like we say about the Knicks and even just the Yankees to an extent. But, I mean, that was a Rangers home game. Yeah, well, but, you know, it always is over here. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, it's it's tough to – even in a playoff series, like you mentioned, it's – most of the time you're – it's, it's going to favor the Rangers, you know, to a very large majority. Yep. So – uh, you know, I'm I'm tapped in. I'm I'm tapped into hockey when you know when there's when the Knicks aren't on. There's no baseball on yet. I'll I'll throw on the Rangers. I'll throw on the Devils. I don't really have an allegiance to either side. There, there's per a se, good but... there's a good time in the season to sort of you know lock in as, as much as you're gonna at least. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. If they're on, and the best thing about hockey, though, I will say is like M- NBA, right? If it's a nationally televised game that starts at you know eight o'clock, that game's not starting until you know eight fifteen, right? Yep. And I feel like in hockey. That puck hits the ice at 7 p.m. Yeah. And it's great. I love it. They're very prompt. Yeah. And like yet like yesterday, I was I was waiting for the Knicks. I think the Knicks official quote unquote start time was like 7:10. I think the Knicks didn't tip until like halfway through the first period of the, the Rangers Devils. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, annoying, but uh just something that you got to deal with. But let's uh let's let's hard transition over to baseball because it we are definitely getting excited. Spring training, I guess, got underway yesterday with the, the Dodgers and the Padres. Uh, the Yankees are in action on Sunday, I believe, and the Mets are in action on, I believe, tomorrow Saturday, or Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, against the Cardinals at three, I want to say. Yeah, so uh, definitely uh, on the precipice of the season. And, and just wanted to talk a little bit of, of Mets and Yankees. I think with a good place to start here, maybe not so good place to start, but the, the big Met news that comes out yesterday is that Kodai Senga, your presumptive ace, I guess, yeah. will uh, be starting the season on the injured list. And he has a right capsule injury. I believe it has to do with the shoulder. Yeah, it's and, a shoulder, uh, shoulder strain in the in the throwing arm. So never good news. And yeah, and I be, I believe that again, my my sources are uh, are partially Frank the Tank, but <laughs> I believe that is a similar injury to Johan Santana. If, if Tank is not mistaken, or if he's not gassing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 he's not speaking hyperbole, but which is very rare. <laughs> But what are your what are your thoughts on that? I mean, give me give me the Met fan take and your I guess knee jerk reaction to hearing that. Is it just ho hum Mets again? Yeah, I think that that's always the knee jerk. The knee jerk is always ho hum Mets because, like you said, this was the you know he, he was going to be your ace, whether he's an ace or not. He was the best pitcher on your staff. Now, what the Mets have done in terms of pitching is something you've seen David Stearns do before, where he's a big inning eater guy. So they've they've kind of really stocked up the bullpen. I'm not saying the Mets have an elite bullpen or anything like that, but I, I think the ultimate goal for the Mets is to get starters out early because I couldn't even I couldn't really tell you their rotation off the top of my head right now because it, it, it's tough. There's are we gonna see a Joey Lucchese get the ball, you know, the first couple of months of the season, depending because we don't know anything about Kodai Sango right now. We're in yeah. that purgatory area where you know, the report came out that he's going to be on the IL. We haven't heard anything further. So you you really, you can't trust anything in terms of his return. Yeah, so, and, and honestly, the it, we spoke about this, you know, in bits and pieces. We've mentioned stuff that as it's come across our timelines in terms of the Mets and just baseball news overall. But I think even before the Senga injury, the question was, who the hell is going to pitch, is going to pitch for this team? And I think that, you know, you, you get it, you're getting a little thin early here in terms of innings and you're going to need to probably find someone that can eat innings. How I mentioned this yesterday and kind of was a little bit, you know, half joking and we'll, we'll get to him in terms when we talk about the Yankees more so, because I feel like it's just a, a bigger and more, there's more uh, validity to the story, but 
you know, a guy like a Snell or a guy like a Jordan Montgomery, why, why wouldn't the Mets just, I get, look, why wouldn't they sign them? Right. But, and I understand that the Mets kind of said that 2024 is pretty much not going to be our year, I guess, to paraphrase, but looking past if those guys are going to look for, you know, multi-year deals and you need, you need innings to be be eaten, be eaten, eaten, however you want to say that. Why not sign one of those guys? Well, here's what I think the Mets are doing. And this is just sort of, you know, we heard from Steve Cohen the other day on a podcast. We'll get into some of his comments and uh, listening to Stern since he's gotten here is I feel more and more like they really have no problem punting on this season. Now, what I, what I was just mentioning was the sort of just stockpiling of the bullpen. I think the goal this year is going to be to get your starter out and get to the bullpen. So, a guy like Cordae Sango, who doesn't eat innings anyway, that's sort of been his roughest transition in terms of uh, coming over to play in the majors. Um, I, I don't know that it's that big of a hit. If you're not really planning on doing anything this year, I'm not sure it's that big of a hit. I think they're going to find out which guys in the bullpen are stout and are going to stay. And I think that when they really build something, they're going to lean on having a tough bullpen. Now, when you mentioned Snell or I think the Mets are I think the Mets are good because when you look to next year, I mean the guys that are gonna be available, whether it's you know Garrett Cole, Zach Wheeler, uh, you know, Robbie Ray, or even a Frankie Montas, Corbin Burns, uh, Kyle Hendricks, Shane Bieber. Um, I think there's there's gonna be a market for it. Um, you know, why the Mets aren't doing more to be competitive this year, I don't know. Um, and it's still not something that sits too well with me because I think as a Met fan, I think it's still tough to get over. Well, we were just promised all this, and now we're we're going to sit here and watch a potentially non-competitive season. Um, but I, I think you know David Stearns is. I'm not sure he's tapped into that. I think that well, they're looking to next year, and I think this is the year to really bolster the bullpen because I think that's the cornerstone of a David Stearns baseball team. And then I think you might see the Mets, you know, get a little out of pocket in free agency next year. And, and I think you're you probably are going to be spot on, but I guess my my question is, you know, and this is obviously not necessarily a question for you, more so than it than it is just for the Mets in general. But you know, this isn't the NBA, this isn't even the NFL. There's no sense in tanking, really, in the in the MLB. Like, not necessarily saying that they're going to tank because I think it's done. It's a little bit blown out of proportion. You know how how quote unquote weak this Mets roster is. I, I still think that there's, there's definitely something to be, uh, they're definitely a, you're a legit right. Team, you're, but... you're right. But they're still, and we'll, we'll go through all this, but I don't know if there's another team with more like, you know, maybes and ifs in their lineup. Oh, well, yeah, but I think that, you know, I mean, well, all right, let's, then let's look at the lineup here. Let's just go around the horn. I mean, you got Alonzo at first. We've, we've talked time and time again about the disappointment of, uh, I guess the fact that he still doesn't have a contract extension with the team and there, there really hasn't been much structure in terms of conversation there definitely is something that would concern me as a Met fan, but well, let's, let's start there though, because I did want to get right. into some of the Steve Cohen comments. Um, I think we're at a time now where there's not going to be any, uh, you know, you know, hometown discounts, anything like that. I think players more and more, and obviously Alonzo happens to be a Boris client. So it's already a given players are going to hit the open market, but you know, Steve Cohen sounded glowing about Alonzo and seemed to make it, um, 
you know, pretty obvious that he does want him here. And I don't think the Mets are in a position where maybe this sort of, I don't want to call it rebuilding, retooling, uh, discludes Alonzo. I, I just think the Mets were kind of told point blank, you know, if, if you're going to retain his services, it's going to be through free agency. So what I will say about Pete Alonzo, and, and we're going to go over, this is really kind of opening day stuff we're doing today. I, I wouldn't be shocked if you see him in a different uniform this season. Yeah. And so that, I, you know, as you're talking, I'm kind of thinking, and could could you see the Mets doing a Yankees or Aldis Chapman where in the middle of the season, they trade Alonzo for, as like a rental piece and then just sign him back? Yeah, we saw the Mets do that with uh, – with Jay Bruce a few years back. Uh, yeah, I think if they want him, that's how it's going to have to go down. Yeah, that's how you get the most value out of him, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, definitely it will be one that's interesting to watch. But in terms of, like, you know, the opening day and the impact on the team, I mean, you can chalk up the, – the one thing we say about Alonzo is you can chalk up, you know, 45, 50 home runs and 110 RBIs year in, year out. Chalk it up. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, obviously – you know, the injuries notwithstanding, and that's obviously a factor for all players. But, yeah, I think Alonzo is going to – it, it kind of has to be your your power production. I think a lot of people have been uh, spoken very glowingly of uh, his his defensive improvements, I'll say. I'm not going to say he's an elite defender, but I think he's getting better, and he's something that – someone that is just a solid defender more so than – you know, he's not going to really lose you games anymore, where at one point I felt like, you know, maybe like two, three years ago, I'm like, this guy Alonzo can hit the shit out of the ball. But on defense, he's a little bit of an anchor there. But I think he's gotten better there. So I, I think it's in terms of, you know, looking at Alonzo long term. What is he, 29 now or 30? He's, I think he's I think he's only 29, maybe even 28. But, you know, I could see him being a, a Met for a life post this season. Yeah, well, I think that's kind of that that seems to be what he's always wanted. And you hope that happens. But. Uh, let's kind of go to what you're doing. Let's go around the horn. You're set at first base with Pete Alonso, and you kind of already gave me the numbers to expect from Pete Alonso, assuming he's here for a full season. Yep. So then uh, that would lead me to second base, which I'm going to presume is Jeff McNeil. The The caveat here is that the Mets also signed Joey Wendell, who kind of plays every single position in, in the entire field. So we'll just throw Joey Wendell's name out there as well. Um, I yeah, mean, Jeff, McNeil... Jeff McNeil, I think you're set with McNeil. I think – Every season you see a different McNeil. It's it's actually kind of strange. I think in a few years we might look back at his, uh, you know, his uh, baseball reference page and be like, this is strange. Because some years he he has a ton of pop, and then the next year he'll win a batting title. Last year, a little bit of a down year for Jeff McNeil, but I, an excellent hitter. And if we're going to say he's the second baseman, that's cool. I think you're set with Jeff McNeil. And then if you go over to shortstop, I, I think you're set with Lindor too. Um, you know, last year, I think – the first half of the year was, was a little bit rough or maybe just a little bit off brand. Um, and people may accuse him of stockpiling when the season was over, kind of like we had fun with Alonzo when he kind of just started going on a pair when the season was over. Yep. Um, but, he, you know, Lindor ended with really a, a fantastic line. And I, I think you're set with Lindor, too, obviously. At yeah, third and, base, and that's where right. he uh, – yeah. At Sorry, third base, you're going to have right, some issues. You're right on the Lindor, but the, just one thing I wanted to before we moved on. The the problem I have with Lindor is, and you know, half of it was joking, but it it was. I'm not a believer in half jokes, if that makes sense. Where yeah, we we joked that Alonzo and Lindor were you know they're as soon as the Mets declared that they were you know out of the running per se, 
they started going off. Uh, you know, is it a is it a worry to you at all that guys like Alonzo and Lindor are just uh, fold under the pressure? I guess is that a concern at all? No, because I, I think that there's an alternate reality where you know the Mets actually hit on free agency and didn't give Verlander and Scherzer a bag, and then maybe we look at Alonzo and Lindor and say like, oh, they, they hit their stride at the perfect time, you know? So yeah. no, I, I'm not really gonna give any credit to that. But at third base which is where you might see a lot of McNeil, maybe some of Wendell, because uh, I, I think they have a legitimate Brett Beatty problem. Um, last year was was disappointing uh, to see him at third base. Defensively, sometimes just did not have a clue. Um, and, you know, he, he doesn't swing a great bat either. So there's really nothing to hang your hat on with Brett Beatty yet, uh, which is probably why Joey Wendell's here. Well, you know, they, they're really in need of like a, a true utility guy. So I don't know how much you're going to see at Brett Beatty. Maybe that's going to be more of a, a second half season is over kind of thing. But I, I, I'm not excited about uh, what I saw from him at all. Yeah, he, I, I agree with you. And it's, it's his defense definitely is of much concern for sure. And I think that, you know, you're right. You bring a guy in like Wendell. I mean, the, the, the big crusher that I think kind of, you know, obviously it was a big deal when it happened. But uh, Ronnie Mauricio being out for the season definitely, uh, you know, hurts his chances there because as – as uh, Beatty kind of fails, we'll say, not saying not not writing him off, but as Beatty had a bad season, you know, it seemed like you know Mauricio might have found himself a home as the third baseman for the Mets. Yeah, he tears his ACL. He he's out for the year. So kind of a, maybe, a you know shame. maybe the plan was the to kind of have some sort of a competition between Mauricio and Beatty. I guess you throw in Wendell and McNeil there as well on you know certain days, but maybe the plan was for Mauricio, and now they're kind of. Just, just kind of stuck in the mud here with Beatty. Yep. So, uh, move on to the outfield. So the outfield, I have, uh, you know, a, a slew of guys. The big, I guess, the big quote unquote acquisition would be Harrison Bader. Uh, he'll, he'll give. Honestly, I, I like Bader a lot. Again, former Yankee will notice a trend here, but I think he, he'll be a, a solid piece in the outfield. Again, not going to be a power threat. We'll steal you a couple bases. We'll score a bunch of runs. He's very fast. He's a hard player. Uh, I think he'll. I think Met fans will like him. Yeah, I, I'm still wondering how much of him I'm going to see because I'm kind of going into this assuming. Well, no, I'm not. I was going to say assuming Nimmo's the, the opening day center fielder, but you could e- easily uh, make Harrison Bader your everyday center fielder, and and you could hang your hat on defense uh, out in center the entire year. But I think the four guys you're going to see the most of are going to be Bader, Nimmo, uh, you know, DJ Stewart with that sort of uh, meaningless emergence last year. Not a knock on him, but and Starling Marte, who's one of the biggest question marks you have in in your lineup, you know, if not the biggest. So I do kind of wonder how they're going to configure that. Is Bader going to be an everyday player? Because like you just said, there is a lot of upside to have a player like that in your lineup with some speed. The Mets don't really have any speed. So I do wonder how they're going to configure it, but I would say those are the four guys that are going to be taking at bats. Yeah, and then you'll, you'll again you'll probably mix in a day where like you know you get a, a Jeff McNeil left field appearance, you right. get a, a Joey Wendell at second. You might even see Joey Wendell in the outfield possibly. Yes. Uh, you know it, the Mets can get funky. They def, uh, one thing that they definitely have going for them is that I feel like they have a lot of uh, you know movable parts outside of really Alonzo, Beatty, and Lindor. You're, you can kind of mix and match guys, you know, especially in the outfield. It's got, you got a lot of options there. Yeah, it, surprisingly with McNeil. Like, I, I'm, I'm I'm almost stunned every time I see it. Not that he's 
listen, not that he's a gold gold outfielder, right? But they move him, you know, both corners of the outfield. He really never seems to have a problem. Second base, third base. He's just kind of one of those players. So uh, utility guys are always good. Yeah. And then on the on the horizon for the Mets in terms of prospects, you have uh, Acuna's brother, who was the big acquisition at the deadline last year for them. Um, that could, you know, if the season goes south, maybe you see him up a little early. If even, in, you know, as a, a late in the year, sort of September call up, even you could see him pro- probably earlier. But uh, maybe he comes in and plays. I, I believe he's more of a utility guy too. kind of plays the middle. Uh, I think he plays the middle infield as well. But another guy that can play multiple positions that seems to be the darling of of Mets prospect talk right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I so. mean, listen, that, that's a guy that we may see down the line if this kid thing kind of goes the way I think it's going to. Uh, I don't want to skip over the catcher, by the way. Uh, Francisco Alvarez is, he's the guy, if you're a Met fan, that you should be going into the season most excited about him and, and what he's going to put together uh, over a full season because he seems to be the real deal. Yeah, so, and, and the, the problem is him... the only power threat. I take it back. Francisco Alvarez is a legitimate power threat. But, well, you hope. Like, the, the thing with him is he he showed the flashes last year and he showed the, you know, he's he was able to, be a very, very solid, even to good to great MLB hitter for a short stretch last year. But he too, he hit a bit of a, you know, a rookie wall, we can say that, you know, will concern some Met fans more than others. You know, maybe he's not as good as, you know, the, the hot flash that he had, and maybe he's not as bad as the, uh, the, you know, the, the wall that he hit per se, but maybe somewhere in the middle. I feel like I, that's expected out of rookies. I feel like, you know, you start to get pitched differently and things like that. Um, you know, backing him up, Omar Narvaez, we didn't get to see much of. He had a little injury skid last year, but um, that's going to be your backup catcher. But when we look at the rotation, I think you're going to see a lot of openers. You're going to see a lot of, you know, can Joey Lucchese get me to the fourth or fifth inning? Um, you know, the Michael Tonkins, the... Drew Smith that are innings eaters, Brooks Raley, um, David Peterson, even it's going to be a lot of inning eating for the Mets. So uh, I, I understand that the rotation is it's, it almost looks horrifying right now. Um, and, and that's kind of going to be the theme of the season. I think that's, what's going to get you into trouble. I think you might lose a lot of games early, but um, I, I can definitely appreciate the Mets sort of stockpiling the bullpen because I, I trust that David Stearns can build you know, a foundational bullpen for the Mets. And that's something that, you know, we've been on this podcast a little over a year now and, you know, in the same group chat for several years, all we ever talk about is, Oh my God, how did the Yankees figure this out every season? And we, we watch it take them on deep runs year in year out. It's, it's really the most slept on part of a baseball club. So if the Mets can write that and then spend the amount of money, I think they're going to in this upcoming free agency, I think they're on the right track. But, you know, I, I'm not preaching because I understand this is going to be a tough season if it's going to go down the way I think it is. Yeah. So, I mean, I really don't have too much left to say. We're not going to go through every single bullpen arm and, and kind of talk about their how, how we project them to be. But I think unless, you know, any other points on the Mets before we start getting into sort of record uh, projection or prediction? I mean, not really. I think we hit on all the players that we had to, but I, I think – I'd really love to see Starling Marte get back on track. He's not that old yet. We've seen him really be the catalyst of the Mets before and, and kind of drive things in the right direction. That's really the kind of player he can be. Um, so we'll see. 
But that, so, that would be my guys to watch would be obviously Alvarez and then Sterling Marte. And then I guess just the overall uh, use of the rotation. Let, let me Before we get into prediction, let me ask you this. Obviously, you know, one, one guy we didn't mention, uh, I get, or one position we didn't mention, you got a new manager. So what, give me some of your thoughts. Have you, uh, I guess, you know, it's hard to really say how he hasn't, he hasn't coached a game yet per se, but uh, in terms of just, you know, some of the words he said this off season, uh, you know, the transition from Buck to, to Mendoza, what are your you know first thoughts on Mendoza and, and how he, I guess, you know, how he speaks about his guys, how he speaks about the game. Do you, do you have any thoughts there on that? Yeah, I think he's well-spoken and, and he's a guy I could potentially be excited about. I mean, we, we got on here when he was first hired and we kind of went in on all the Mets fans who were, you know, whatever, pissy about it for whatever reason, because they didn't have anything better going on that day. Um, it's just going to really be a prove it thing to me, but I, I've kind of had the, the same quote over and over again when we talk about the Mets and the manager. And it's really just as soon as they got David Stearns in the building, and, you know, brought in legitimate baseball higher-ups. They did not have a baseball person, a legitimate one, since Steve Cohen's been here. So I think once they got that fixture in place, they really could have run me any manager, and I would have said, you know, okay, let's see how it goes done. Yeah, and I agree. And I think that, you know, if the complaint about Buck was that he was a little bit out of touch with the players and a little bit out of touch with just, like, the overall game and whatnot, you know, we can we can ridicule how the Mets handled the situation and how apparently Stearns didn't even meet with Buck when he when the, uh, you know, the, the management decisions were made, we'll, we'll put. But I think that, you know, if you're a Mets fan and, and you kind of have this this new outlook for the season and this new new voice in the room, it's only fair to be kind of, I guess, optimistic. No. Yeah. So. All right. Let's let's get into the the, the final thing here on the Mets. I want your your record prediction as it sits. This is Friday, February 23rd. All right. Uh, listen, I, I'd love to uh, eat crow on this. I know I kind of tipped my hand that whole spiel there in terms of the Mets. Um, I don't think this season is going to be – I don't think you're going to see any real success this season in terms of a postseason or anything like that. I think you're watching the Mets this year to watch all the little successes – they're going to build into the Mets, you know, eventually, hopefully becoming a winner. Uh, but this season, I mean, if you look at the rotation and all the question marks that we just mentioned, um, they, you know, they, they lack power, they lack speed, they lack arms. It's not a perfect club whatsoever. I have the Mets 73 and 89, which I think is a couple games less than they had won last year. It might have been 75 or 76 last season i'm expecting this season to you know be a smidge worse you are quite low in terms of what what i guessed and i mean i haven't even looked at any over-unders i well, haven't but, looked at any well, sort let of me give you this but... let me give you this we're both saying that we're expecting the mets to be out of it at some point and if they are uh, you're kind of uh, all the like i guess alonzo would be out I guess maybe a Marte would be out. Like they would have another sort of sale because they wouldn't have a, a choice. So I'm expecting them to just like they did last year, where they were mildly competitive in the first half. I think the big drop off comes after that. I mean, you just mentioned maybe seeing Acuna's little brother. You know, I don't think there's going to be a 500 baseball club. Well, that's a perfect and natural segue into mine because, as weak as it might sound, 
I have the Mets at a comfortable 81 and 81. You're a bum. You know what? Now you, you see, because you're setting this, and now they're going to be so much worse than it. And you, and then you're going to be like, oh look, oh the Mets. No, that that's a bad prediction. They're not a good team. 500, 500 is not. They're good. not good. But five hundred is not. I think that I I think I I agree with you on a couple things. I think that uh, you know you're you're right. If if it ends up that the fact that they're going to trade Alonzo and their season will have gone south, and that prediction will be way wrong. And Look, I under I am acknowledging that by making that prediction. I think, and just you know, reading the Mets, I can see them getting off to a good start. You know, Marte's healthy, Lindor's playing well, Alonzo's playing well, and almost find themselves in like a little bit of no man's land in the middle of the year, where you know they're not they don't even want to risk trading Alonzo and risk having to go, you know having go to another team and you know falling in love with the franchise or whatever, and just kind of sticking with it. And saying that, yeah, you know, we'll add around the edges. We'll trade our, you know, any sort of one-year deal guys that aren't named Alonzo. And I think that, you know, I think saying 500 in in a, the NL East with, I think the Marlins overachieved last year. I don't think the Nationals will be any good. Obviously, the Braves and the Phillies are just two juggernauts. But I, I, 500 seems like a fair bet to me. But they're running out a worse product than they did last year. But but are they though? Like like yes. ultimately. Yes, but, but your like, your quote unquote ace, who's now has to be your ace, can't play. But but I understand that. But you when you talk about last year, like, were is it a worse product than what Verlander and Scherzer were giving you? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and look, you might be right, but there was I there mean, was they didn't want to let go of Verlander. Verlander was you know he was coming off an injury, but he was actually productive. There might be four or five Verlander wins that you could just forget about because, um, you know, Tyler McGill is going to get shelled in the first inning. All right. So I'll, I'll bump it down to 80 and 82. Is that fair? <laughs> no, let I me mean, do whatever you want. I'm just saying, I, I, <laughs> I just don't, I just think if this thing does blow up halfway through the season, I don't see any way how they're going to hang on for dear life and, you know, finish around 500. That, that That's fair. If, if they that... went into the season and said, all of your lives in this clubhouse depend on you being 500 or better. So World Series, none of that matters. Contracts don't matter. It's just like, holy shit, we have to win right now. I think they could win 87 games or so. But I just think they're going to deplete the roster again, just like last year. Or, or you know, I think the, the other way to look at it is not and not necessarily saying the Mets are going to make a run per se or, you know, make a some sort of miraculous, you know, uh, have a, some crazy season. But what if what if stuff just pans out right like what if what if Beatty and Alvarez or let's just say Alvarez right what if Alvarez is just good and what if uh uh Luis what's his name Luis Angel Acuna is is actually a really good player and you get him in the middle of the season like the Yankees yeah, got and then, and then the maybe Severino has a bounce back year and then you know maybe everyone bounces back you know I just think it's a lot of maybes and ifs and that's kind of why I'm as low as I am to me, to me, maybe is on the fence. On the fence is average, and average is five hundred. They're a five hundred baseball team. All right, yeah, that's my reasoning. Now let's let's go move over to the other team in town because a lot of a lot of uh, you know whispers and and headlines and different stories have come out in the last week about the Yankees, and I would say mostly positive in terms of health, in terms of acquisitions, in terms of just overall vibe of the locker room. I'll, I have a lot to say about the Yankees. I want your, I guess we could start with, you know, Blake Snell and the rumors surrounding Blake Snell and going to the Yankees. 
you know, my first question to you about them would be, you know, how optimistic are you about this Yankees team? And, and do you think they need a Blake Snell to really put themselves in that kind of, you know, well, world series no, kind of I, argument? I don't think so. I think Blake Snell would be a luxury piece like, and a, a pretty darn good one too. Like that's a guy that's obviously, you know, he's going to crack your postseason rotation and all that, but I still think he's a luxury piece. I don't think they need him. Uh, I think they're all ready for real. Now, my outlook on the Yankees, my excitement, things like that, uh, I, I guess it kind of depends on on the Yankee fan. So, well, let me ask you this. Is this roster now, seeing that you've made all the DS and CS appearances, is this a World Series or bust roster? And if you say yes, then, you know, I'm mildly excited about the Yankees. I think we'll see. If you say no, then I'm crazy excited about this Yankees team. I almost feel like they could punch a ticket to the championship series, obviously barring, you know, an injury bug hitting as hard as it did last season. Uh, I I think it is a World Series contender as it sits right now, yes. And I think that the way that the Yankees have set themselves up is is interesting because they obviously they get Soto, he's on the one-year deal, and you're, you're hoping that he's going to stay – much further past this year, period, stop on the offensive side. I think where the interesting conversation comes along is, so so you, you kind of have to look at the Yankees in terms of like a math equation here with when you talk about Snell and the, the rest of the roster. So right now as it sits, your rotation will probably look something like Derek Cole, Carlos Rodon, Nestor, Stroman, and then right now you're probably going to look at like a Clark Schmidt as your five there, right? And it's a good rotation, solid rotation. I think a lot of teams would sign up for, you know, Clark Schmidt as a five, Stroman as a four, or so on and so forth. The problem is the Yankees are over the luxury tax, but the way, and again, this is there's a lot of legal jargon and, and a lot of random numbers and stuff to really digest it all. But simply put, the, the way it works is when you're over the luxury tax so much, you have to start paying a percentage of how much you're over, right? So- yeah. Let's just say, let's just say the Yankees signed Snell to a thirty million dollar a year deal. Let, for argument's sake, that thirty million dollar a year deal ultimately would probably cost the Yankees almost double, given the amount of luxury tax that they'd have to pay with another thirty million dollar contract. And therein lies the the conversation to have. It's it's who care. There's the people that you know who cares about the money, and then there's the people that say uh, there. There's a couple different ways to look at this. There's who cares about the money. There's ultimately that money is pooled into a, a collective pool. So there's a way of looking at this where you paying more luxury tax eventually puts more money in your competitors' pockets. That's one way to look at it. The second, the third way to look at it, which I feel like a lot of Yankee fans will probably side on, is I don't care if we sign Blake Snell and even if we have to pay him $60 million with the luxury tax, essentially, if we if that puts us in standing to be in the World Series and puts us in the conversation of best team in the league. Well, hey, okay. No, well, that's, I, I don't disagree with you, but like you but, just said, you're looking at, you know, a, a guy in one photo that you do want to bring back. I get what you're saying. It's so easy as a fan to say, who cares about the money? It's not my money, but the money does stop somewhere. I mean, you just outlined how much they would have to pay on top of Blake Snell. If they brought him in right now, the money does stop somewhere. That That's really all I'll say. So, are you actually happy to say to to look at this season and say, yeah, bring him in? Who cares? Because if you're going to say, you know, a, ch- a real chance to win a World Series, 
best team in the league territory, um, then yeah, I'm all for it. But the Yankees have been close to that territory for several years and, and hadn't gotten it done. And not to beat this like a dead horse, but you know, championships, not championship, all of that, you know, you're kind of turning your back on that when you say, yeah, bring him in because this season, this season, I think if you, if you pay a guy like Blake Snell right now, I, I almost feel like, I mean, how, how can you afford to bring in Juan Soto? That, well, that's, that's my, Soto? that is, that's exactly my stance on this because I think that any move that the Yankees are looking to make right now or will make in the future in terms of like, you know, maybe get trading for someone it has to, you know, involve the, the conversation of possibly taking money out of Juan Soto's pocket. And I think that when, if you're the Yankees, I think that needs to be at the absolute forefront of your, your plans this season has to be at the absolute forefront of anyone you look to acquire via again, via trade or free agency, because to me, you know, you got Garrett Cole for X amount of more years. Again, I think he has a uh, an option after this year, but I, I believe, again, assuming, you know, things don't go tremendously south, I'm going to assume that Garrett Cole will be back in the Yankee uniform for years to come. We'll just put it that way. But, uh, you know, looking at the looking at the roster now, you got Glaber on, a, uh, like on the last year of his deal, Rizzo on the last year of his deal. I believe there's a, a team option at the end, but you have a lot of money coming off the books. If you don't sign Snell and you have that money coming off the books and let's just say you reach a point where, you know, maybe maybe Verdugo is really good and maybe uh, you like a guy like a, or Dominguez comes back and is healthy. And now you can find you can move a Giancarlo Stanton, even if you have to attach prospects to get rid of the contract. I think there's multiple avenues to free up a lot of money that I would rather be in a situation where we have too much money to spend than really trying to make tough decisions and and put and have like a, a a tighter budget. Does that make sense? Where like next year, if they let's just say they sign Snell to let's just say like thirty million dollars a year, just for argument's sake, that's thirty million dollars that you won't be able to offer Juan Soto, and yes. that I don't I, that doesn't fly with me. So to me, the more I, as long as we're we're sticking with the Snell conversation, and look, Snell is look, it's crazy for me to say I don't want the the reigning Cy Young or a former Cy Young. It's it's a it's a crazy thing to say, but I think that if you're going to tell me that, let's just say right now, again, this is not my actual number, but let's say the Yankees have a 65 percent chance to sign Juan Soto following this season to a long term deal. Let's just say if signing Snell means that that goes down even to like 50 percent, I'm not down for that. Yeah, I think I I agree with you because we're I think at the end of the day, because we're talking about a luxury piece. Like, remember, you know, last season when we were like, oh, my God, they just they need a left fielder so bad. You know, if you brought in something like that and really, really fulfilled the need. OK, we'll worry about Juan Soto next year. But I, I just think it's a luxury piece that you just might be shooting yourself in the foot. I, I don't think it's a need. Yeah. And I think that the way the Yankees operate and the way the Yankees attack the trade deadline every year, I think, you know, it's to commit to a guy like Blake Snell. And look, he's. To say he's a guy is a bit of an understatement because look, Blake, Blake Snell is a great pitcher, right? He's a behind Garrett Cole. He's a one of the best twos in the league, I would argue. So I, I think that you know he, you're right. He'd be a luxury piece. He probably puts you over the edge of making your yourself uh, inevitable World Series or bust. But you know, just signing Blake Snell would ultimately uh, result in that. I think so. 
I, I just think that the Yankees will get to a point in this year where let's just say they don't sign Snell. They have more money in their pocket. They can look at more options in the trade deadline. There's, there's always people available. There's always going to be a bad team with an ace that will be available to trade. And even if like, I'd rather give up more a prospect like a Spencer Jones, who let's look, look again, everything in the Yankees is interconnected. So it's really hard to talk about things very one-to-one Spencer Jones one of the Yankees, uh, pro- I think the Yankees' top prospect as of right now is uh, everyone kind of making fun that he kind of looks like a lefty Aaron Judge. He's an outfielder. I think he can even play a little bit of first base as well. He's a stud, right? He's going to – a lot of people think he might even make like a September call-up of some sort. But looking at this as a whole, a guy like Spencer Jones, if you're if you're going to tell me that you can – Dominguez is playing amazing. He's actually a stud and judge is obviously a stud and you got Soto there for the year. If you're going to tell me that you have a, a an absolute abundance of outfielders of good outfielders. I'm okay. I think I'm okay with giving up a, a Spencer Jones or a top prospect this year to get that arm that puts you over the top at the deadline where it maybe it is a Corbin Burns or maybe it is a, a any of those guys you mentioned previously that are free agents at the end of the year that even for a rental, that a guy that is going to be the number two behind Garrett Cole and will pitch in a game two of a presumptive world series. I think that's an Avenue that's way more attractive to me than signing Blake Snell. Yeah. I I think I'm with you. And you know, a lot of this is naysay because I don't really, you know, I don't understand the Yankees pockets the way that they do and things like that. But, you know, I think we do have a pretty firm understanding on what the goal is going to be next year. And, just the fact that, you know, a Blake Snell or something like that could potentially shatter it. Um, so I, I just think my main point here is just anyone who, you know, it's not my money, who cares? I just want people to know it does end somewhere. So, you know, you, you want some flexibility. That's really all you could ask for from your front office. Yeah, and I think that signing Snell w- would handcuff you just a bit. I think that there would be also, again, I mentioned this kind of in passing a little bit, but signing Snell or, or even a guy like of Snell's caliber or, or I guess monetary uh, resemblance, I, I guess we'll say, probably would mean no Glaber Torres. So on top of, again, like I said, losing some probability of putting money in Soto's pocket, you're probably not going to be able to retain a Glaber Torres after this year too. So there could be those ramifications as well. And I think that the understanding among Yankee fans and among Glaber is that like Glaber wants to be here. He, he wants to be a Yankee and they've dangled him in trade talks. And it seems like every year his name comes up and, you know, could the Yankees trade Glaber? Should the Yankees trade Glaber? And I don't think it's the fact that they, they don't try and trade him. And I think it's known that they, they have tried in the past and they've actually gotten close. I believe the Marlins uh, got close to a deal with the Yankees in a couple of years ago, but, I think it's more of a sense of the Yankees value Glaber so highly and they, they think so highly of him that they they almost ask too much for him. And I think that speaks to the fact that the Yankees like him as well. So I think that that mm-hmm. also factors into uh, any sort of Snell or well, we keep saying yeah. Snell, but even like a Jordan Montgomery re- uh, return would be very costly to the Yankees. So uh, the rotation is, is one in question. At it. It's a good yeah, way of looking at it. I, but on the, at the same time, though, Listen, if, if we get off the show and news hits that the Yankees are, you know, heavy in talks with Blake Snell or whatever, you know, enjoy it. You're in for a hell of a season. I'm not, I'm not instructing anyone to be upset about it. Um, but, you know, that, that was just kind of my two cents on it. 
Yeah, well, and and I guess the flip side of what everything I've just been saying is, all right, you know, at the worst, even if you you don't you sign Blake Snell and let's just say Soto walks, let's just say Soto becomes a Met next year, right? Because I think you you've been preaching that for a while. But let's just say yeah, Soto leaves the Yankees manifesting. That's the word I was looking for. Soto is manifesting, or uh, the Mets end up trying to throwing a bag at Soto. He leaves. Then you know what do the Yankees end up with? They're able to sign Glaber and they have Blake Snell. I mean, this it's you know talking to you as a Mets fan going through the talk that we just had. If we're talking between oh the Yankees are going to sign Soto for ten plus years or they're going to have Snell and Glaber, I mean Mets fans would laugh at those options, right? Yes. Yeah. So it's it's very much a you know uh, we we joke and say like first world problems I guess, but in Yankee land, baseball land, it's it's just Yankee problems. Yeah. Well, you know, what? just you wait though, because we might only be one year away from. I mean, we're only one year removed from like. Oh my God! They just got Carlos Correa too. So the Mets are going to be back in those conversations. All right. Yeah. Uh, oh, very, very much so. Understand that. Um, let's let's do what we did. We talked about a little bit about the pitching there for a while. Let's get to the rest of the squad here. Well, let's start with the catcher. Uh, Jose Trevino will be the the catcher for I'd say a large portion of the season. Uh, he will probably platoon with Austin Wells, who showed some great promise last year and a little his short stint. Trevino had a little bit of a wrist injury last year that I believe uh, hampered his season a little bit. Every, all signs pointing to say that he's he showed up healthy and, and looks and looks quote unquote better than ever, which might be an aside before we get to the rest of the around the around the diamond. The the Yankees slogan for forever now might just be looks better than ever. Yeah, yeah. because everyone looks better than ever. Yeah, yeah. In, so, including one uh, John Carlos Yeah, which we'll get to. So. <laughs> Catching position, I think if the Yankees were very high on Austin Wells, still very high on him. They were, quote-unquote, stunned by how well he progressed as a catcher in the major leagues. They He's a lefty bat that, you know, he's he just got a – he's got a fan's look to him. You know, he got the, the fat mustache with the, you know uh, – he just, he just looks like someone that the Yankee fans would root for. I think – you understand what I'm saying there? Yes, yeah. So – and I think that the Yankees, if he's if he's – plays well and he lives up to what he should be. Um, I think Trevino Wells could be a very, very solid one, two lefty righty dynamic catching group there for sure. Yeah, um, I mean, I think you're already happy with Trevino, right? He's a platinum glove winner. How could you not be? Right. So, yeah, I, I agree. And if you look, he, his offense has come into question. I believe he hit maybe like sub two thirty last year, but all everyone, all reports say that he was dealing with an injury for most of last year. So I'll, Again, I'll take his word for it. Again, well, he's, he caught in the All-Star game, so he's yeah. good. He's you, you and I are both proponents of, like, you know, all I really need from my catcher is just stellar performance behind the plate. Like, you and I yeah. are big proponents of that, especially in a lineup like the Yankees. Just, just give me the platinum goal, uh, platinum glove winner that he is, and, and I'm happy. I, I Look, I couldn't agree with you anymore, and I think that, you know, if you tell me, the, the Yankees are you know, 110 and 52 and Trevino's <laughs> hitting 200 batting ninth. You'll, you'll still hear, you'll still hear phone calls about it. Yeah. <laughs> when are the Yankees going to upgrade that catching position? We miss Posada. <laughs> yeah. But all right. So catching position solid. I think we can all agree there. Uh, first base, Anthony Rizzo is, was he seeing ghosts last year? Was he seeing anything last year? We don't know. Maybe doubles and of- triples of things. I, who knows, but let's just put it this way. He started the season last year hitting 304, with 11 home runs and 32 RBIs uh, up up until May 28th last year. 
the rest of the way after getting after a weird little injury, a collision injury, uh, I believe it was in Baltimore. He hit 171 with one home run and did not play a single game after August 1st. He let me put it this way. He is not that bad. No, no. Listen, when when the rules were implemented, the new rules, Anthony Rizzo, because of the, you know, the limitations of the shift is the player that we maybe mentioned the most on that episode. And I think he was on his way to proving us right until, you know, he, he got a little banged up. So I think that that conversation we had last season that he seemed to to be proving, I I think that's still on the table. Yeah. Oh, most most definitely. And I think that that's actually a point that I, I honestly didn't. I totally forgot about the the whole shift thing and how going back to last year we spoke about that. It's a great point by you. The and it's true. He was. I think it's the evidence is there to say that he really, really was just absolutely out of it last year. Yeah. Like he did, no one just falls off a cliff like that and also just happens to be, you know, has a head injury at the same time for the first time in his career. That, that just doesn't happen. Yeah. And not only that, there were reports of like, you know, how bad it was when he was actually going out there to play and stuff. Like we heard a lot of that kind of noise. So, I, I mean, it's definitely a legitimate thing. Yeah. And I think that of all the guys that, um, that are on the team and all the guys that the Yankees, you know, might have a, not Yankees, but fans might have bring into question to me, Rizzo is, and I've said this for a while and I, you can call me a Rizzo backer or defender. He's just a guy that I just think he's just a good baseball player. And I don't ever, ever worry about him, even in his most slump of slumps. Again, he, you know, seeing three baseballs, seeing two baseballs, I'd never really worried about him, even when he was at the height of slumping. Yeah, I mean, and and even you take that out of the equation, he, he's a vacuum at first base. So yeah, oh, he's not he's yeah, not a yeah. guy I'm concerned about either. He's he saw you know three different baseballs thrown at him, and he played a solid first base. Yeah, so that's that's impressive in itself. Um, second base, we spoke about Glaber Torres a little bit. He he was the, probably the most productive Yankee last year in terms of offense. Again, judge injury, so many injuries up and down the lineup last year. But Glaber, I mean, he's another guy. I mean, not to the extent of Alonzo, but he's consistent enough where you can book him for hitting 260 with 25 home runs and 75 RBIs almost every year from yeah. second base. That's yeah. that's value. Yes. And and it's it's value that like like again, speaking about this Yankee lineup in terms of you know the acquisitions they made in Soto and Verdugo, blah, blah, blah. That is that's value that might be batting, you know, six or seventh versus, you know, three last year. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's, it's, it's impressive, but again, the, the big question mark about Glaber is uh, whether or not he, you know, if he gets off to a slow start, do you start hearing, you know, sort of like, you know, trade rumors around him or do you start hearing, you know, Yankee fans start to hope if they don't sign Snell, do you, do you see his name being dangled around in trade bait? Cause he's a, He's a, I guess, an expiring contract, perhaps. So, you know, you know, it feels like the front office and you know the Yankee faithful, the fans. Glaber Torres has had so many just one eighties done around him. Like, yeah, w- one day he's beloved, the next day he's on the block, the next day people can't wait to get rid of him because they feel like they have to. Kind of, th- I mean, he takes a lot of shit, and he still wants to be there. Yeah, he's he's one of those guys that it's. You know, it, it, when he's doing well, he's, he's he's very easy to root for. But when he's not doing well, it's so like he's like a, I want to say like Cano, but Cano obviously is you know 
without the steroids, might have been a Hall of Famer. So I don't want to say they put Glaber in that conversation yet, but New York in terms Matt of like place, in terms yeah, in terms of play style, like you know, he, he's not really a hustler. He doesn't really look like he's like trying too hard. It's kind of like a he's an interesting player to watch. You know, even when he's even even when he runs like just you know runs out of double, he's not like the fastest. He's not like the most a crazy athlete. But you look up at the end of the year every year, it's 270, 25, and eighty. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's one of those guys you kind of just take for granted a little bit. Um, next round, well, I guess Volpe. Uh, news comes out yesterday that he's been he had been uh, maneuvering his swing path a little bit. You know, me right. big swing path guy over here. So uh, I, I think that you know Volpe wins the Gold Glove last year. I think he you know looking back at his numbers, not that impressive outside of the power numbers. He I think he hit what twenty something home runs last year. Uh, 20 home runs, 20 stolen bases. Last one to do that since Derek Jeter. Uh, or sorry, joining Derek Jeter as the only Yankee shortstop to win a Gold Glove, but he's the first Yankee shortstop to have 20 home runs and at least 20 stolen bases in a season. It's production, but the problem with him, and I think that the problem that he fell into last year was with all of the injuries. Uh, and on a rookie year and the high stakes in New York for the first time, I think it kind of just got to him and kind of affected his approach. And again, I say this about, I'm going to say this about every guy up and down the lineup. Volpe was batting sixth or seventh last year. He, he might bat eighth, ninth this year. And I think that if he can up his production a little bit with the, the perspective of judge and Soto coming up a few batters after him in the lineup, I think his numbers are only going to go up. I mean, he, his on-base percentage last year is about 250-ish. I wouldn't be stunned if he gets it up to like 350 with the amount of pitches he's going to see. Yeah, so you may have already answered my question, but what I was going to ask was, uh, you know, take the injuries out of it and you look at his production from last year, and like you said, it was production. Do you sign up for that for another season? Like, in other words, if he does that again this up this season, and like you said, he might be the nine-hitter, do you just kind of sign up for that and say, all right, you know, we're happy with that for now? Well, so so do I sign up for last year's production? No, I, I'll actually say no, because I think last year, there, again, like there was too many times where he was asked to be not necessarily the center point of the offense, but he was asked to be, you know, driving a couple of runs, get on, get, you know, get guys in with that are on base. To me, I think Anthony Volpe's goal this year is not necessarily going to be to get a hit, but just find your way on base, get it back to the top of the lineup. So that Judd, you could, you know, walk, steal, Soto base hit. That's a run right there. It couldn't be more simpler than that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really the, so realistically, you know, I'd like to, obviously would like to see his average go up a bit. If he can bring that up from like, you know, 210 to about 230, 240, and then bring his on base percentage up, maybe, you know, into like the, the mid three to upper threes, I think I would be very happy. And then of course, his his uh, defensive prowess must uh, must continue as well because he's you know ultimately the shortstop one of the more important positions on the defensive side of the ball yeah. so uh, definitely definitely a a big season for Volpe because again if even if he hits the twenty home runs and even if he steals all the bases and even if he you know replicates last season I think that Yankee fans as a whole are going to be looking for more I guess more efficient offensive production from from Volpe this year and again. He's not a rookie, so there's really you don't really have you run out of excuses. I'm not saying he used them all, but you know I, I can understand to a point that you're a rookie shortstop on the Yankees. That's a big shoes to fill. I think your 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 feet are in those shoes. Now it's time to really run in them. You know, what do you think about the sort of 
you know, refusal to send him down last year when he was hitting skids, the Yankees kind of just stayed true to, no, he's staying up here. Yeah, well, they, I mean, they're, it's it's kind of like the way the Yankees have uh, almost just dealt with all of their prospects. They give them every single last bit to, to prove themselves. And I think sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's really, uh, it's really an interesting thing, but I think that they're the last year, the Yankees were happy with, you know, get a hit home run, steal bases and play good defense. Now I think the, the only thing you're adding to that fold is, is get on base more. And I think that if everything else stays the same and he gets on base more, it, it would only, it's going to absolutely do absolute numbers for the Yankees. I think that's fair. So, and then last position around the infield here, DJ LeMahieu, all signs point to that he's, you know, fully healthy. Aaron Boone really has been speaking to him highly in spring training. And he's a guy that I think will probably hit leadoff um, at some point. You know, maybe he he falls into the bottom of the order, maybe on a certain, you know, off day here, or off day, maybe a Rizzo off day. He moves down a little bit. They maneuver the lineup a bit. But all signs point that, that Boone would love to see DJ lead off ahead of Soto. So, um, as the table setter there, and again, with Soto and Judge and the rest of the Yankees behind him, uh, I'm optimistic on what I can get out of DJ LeMahieu. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure where I am on DJ LeMahieu because there were times last season where it just kind of felt like, you know, we had some episodes where we spoke about it, and some of the injuries he dealt with are, you know, ones that are extremely tough to come back from, and he's not a spring chicken. I do wonder if that was a real, real fall-off for DJ or not. Like, that, that's one of my you know, players to watch with the Yankees. Yeah. And he's, he's another guy that like, if, if they're going to struggle out of the gate, in, in, in not just necessarily out of the gate in terms of the season, but out of the gate in terms of just singular games where, you know, you, you find DJ slumping and now you get, you have Soto coming up with one out, no one on versus let's just say a guy, you know, DJ on first base after a leadoff walk, you, you you're kind of putting yourself behind the eight ball there and you're kind of wasting the Soto at bats with no one on base, you know? So it's his job is, is of the utmost importance. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, we, we kind of already know about the Yankees outfield. We don't need to go position by position here. Uh, I mean, we already spoke enough about Soto. We know we're going to get out of him. We already spoke. We know we're going to get out of judge positionally. I think that the Yankees will have seemed to be very, very open to playing judge in center field. And I'm kind of, kind of down for that in terms of you know just until Dominguez comes back I guess but I can see the Yankees outfield being a, a really good one and I, I'm very interested to see how you know they're going to use it I think getting Trent Grisham with Juan Soto is going to be a, a very undersigned acquisition for this team he's a hustler he's a lefty who actually hits lefties well he's a reverse split guy um, he can play all outfield positions he, he's just a great piece to have um, and then Alex Verdugo, uh, you know me, uh, my I should get it tattooed on my head and I should say just acquire Yankee killers because even Judge said yesterday or the other day in his press conference that, you know, I think his his exact line of answer was, yeah, we've seen we've seen Verdugo hurt us in the past, dot, dot, dot. I'm so happy we finally got him. So yeah. I think Judge and I agree is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. So I, I look, I think. I think I'm I'm very very optimistic of the Yankees, and I think that this is one of the more optimistic seasons or you know preseason feelings that I felt in years, and I, I'm I'm very brutally honest about that, and I, I couldn't I can't say it more straightforward that I think that with with Snell without Snell 
assuming they acquire someone at the deadline, assuming they do nothing at the deadline, hoping Dominguez gets back healthy, who uh, I guess I'll, I'll end the, the player uh, profile segment here by saying that Dominguez is. Oh, we didn't uh, hit Stanton though. Well, most, okay. Yeah. Sorry. I forgot about Stan. So about before we DX. get to Stanton, uh, Dominguez, all signs are saying that he might be ready a lot sooner than people think. Maybe that just be to DH maybe, you know, once or twice a week, but he apparently he's swinging the bat. He looks good. And if he's anything like what he showed at the back half of the year last year, I will just, I'll say just look out because the Yankees outfield of, uh, you know, you get second half of the season, Dominguez with MVP judge and MVP Soto, you might be talking generational outfield. Generational. The Yankees also may have, uh, you know, afforded him a, a little bit of a longer leash with the team they're trotting out this year. So, you know, take your time, work out whatever you have to work out. Yeah, and and then the last piece here you mentioned, Stanton, the big news of Stanton yesterday, or or I guess this week as the players reported to spring training, he looks so limb. And I don't know if it's the cheap pants that the MLB has instituted this year, but he looks like he has definitely taken cardio up as a, a hobby, uh, just as much as almost breathing, I'd say, because he looks not not that necessarily like you know alarmingly slim, malnourished slim, but <laughs> like slim in terms of like you know we look at Stan a few years ago and I'm like this guy has you know zero body fat he might have negative body fat yeah as you know someone who doesn't really know anything about you know the ins and outs of the body and and physical therapy and and you know how weight helps doesn't help whatever I mean is there a chance that he's just not going to hit for the same power that he used to like, does anyone think about, or, or maybe he's just going to be a completely different player and steal forty-five bases? <laughs> that would be something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that would be quite the turn if Stan just goes out and has a forty-forty yeah. year. He has three, no, three forty-one with eight home runs, yeah, forty-five stolen yeah. bases, and he just becomes like I don't know, uh, a speedster, a speed threat that the Yankees just never, never saw coming. No, yeah. it's actually funny you say that because yesterday there's a video, uh, some. So, you know, one of those, you know, Yankee Stan Twitters who I guess there's like their their whole premise was being like anti Stanton, But they said it was like a quote. It was like a, a video of him shagging a fly ball. And it was him, you know, looking like, you know, how Stan runs or he's almost like clunking around. Mm-hmm. It, it was like, oh, wow. So Stan loses all this weight. And he managed to get slower. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I, I really don't know. But he's 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 a wild card. And, and to be honest. I honestly don't really even look at Stan's production more so than, you know, just being up at the plate and on, on the on deck circle, just looking like Giancarlo Stanton and just even carrying the name of Giancarlo Stanton might even just be enough. Yeah. This is, this is like going into the season. This has to be the least that's ever really been effed out of Stanton. Oh yeah. Yeah. He, He, and, but honestly though, he is like, that's the best version of Stanton. Yeah. So I think like in the past, you're almost looking at him for, uh, you know, some sort of like, uh, you know, the second power option behind judge. You could argue he's like four or five now, if you yeah. really want to have that argument. Yeah. And, that, and you know, there's going to be games where, you know, you're going to have the, the Reds, the Red Sox game where Stan hits three home runs. You're going to have the game against the Mets where he'll hit three home runs. And, you know, you're going to get those, you know, yeah. vintage Stanton games for sure. It's a given consistency, staying healthy. I think all of those, it's a big season for Stan. And I think that let, let's just, you know, fast forward to the end of the season here. 
if we're in a situation where it's another season where Stanton is, you know, injury riddled and, you know, hamstring bothering him, can't really play the outfield anymore. I, I really think that the Yankees are approaching the time in, in Stanton's contract where you might just have to bite the bullet and, and say like, look, like we're paying you so much money. We'll eat a lot of it. We'll attach some prospects, but we need to move on. Uh, th- there's definitely a, a world where that's the case. Yeah. And there's definitely a world where, you know, he loses all this weight. He's healthy for, he plays a hundred plus games and everyone's happy. Yeah. We'll see. So, all right. Before I give mine, we will, we'll end up the show by giving our record predictions. So where, what do you see the Yankees finishing as? And I'm, I'm going to assume you're going to, you're going to guess playoffs. So I'll, I'll let you do record prediction as well as uh, I guess where their season will come to an end. All right. So I'm going to have the Yankees at, 105 and 57. Um, I don't know where you're at. I may have even gone a little bit higher than I wanted to, just for the the simple fact that I do think that with what the Yankees experienced last year, injury wise and whatnot, uh, I think they're a good enough team where not that they could really lock up the division early or anything like that, but they're a good enough team where they can stay afloat and sort of kind of stick to their guns in terms of resting players, you know, regardless of how the, the fans feel about it. Um, I would almost be on their side if they wanted to revert back to the, you know, they get accused of over-resting and things like that. I think there's a group that has to be healthy come playoffs. And so that that's kind of why I have them at 105. I wouldn't be shocked if it was closer to, you know, 100. Uh, just because I think that there's going to be some games where they say, you know, for the sake of the bigger goal here, it's okay if we drop one. Fair. And so you're officially 105 and 57? Yeah. Okay. So, and then did you mention, you know, obviously, again, health and just the way the season goes, but you're you're way too early. You know, do they lose in the ALCS? Do they get to the World Series? Do they get fall up, come up short? What what You had to pick one. Where, where do you think they finish? All right. So I think this is fair to do. I'm going to tell you how far they're going to get. I'm not going to tell you if they win that series. I think the Yankees are going to get to the World Series. Um, it would be impossible for me to sit here and tell you if they were going to win that series or not. Um, I just, I think right now, I, I think there's there's a very, very strong argument to be made that they're the best team in uh, the American League and, you know, perhaps in all of baseball. I mean, there's still going to be your Atlanta Braves and things like that. But I think this Yankee team is primed to finally, with this kind of, you know, core group, at least, you know, in the Aaron Judge years, I think they will reach the World Series. And I, from uh, from your lips to uh, the baseball gods' ears, because I I'm at I'm a little bit lesser than you. Not not nothing drastic, of course. Nothing as large as our uh, you know Mets variation, I guess. But I have the Yankees at 101 and 61 on the okay. season. Uh, you know, I think they get over the hundred hump. I think it's yeah. it's going to be a big it's going to be a big deal for the Yankees. I think to get over that hundred hump after you know only winning what 80 something games last year. I think it, it'll be you know kind of the I don't want to say like that that'll be their season once they win a hundred the hundredth game, but I think that it's uh it's definitely something that you know if there was something I could predict is just hanging in the locker room right now, it's probably hundred wins. Yeah, I mean you think about the teams that they were unfortunate enough to lose games to, you know, teams they play a lot, like you know, Baltimore, which is a good team. They even dropped some to to Boston. I think if you look inside their own division. You know, they, they lost uh, quite a few games in there, and I think that they've really 
started to create some separation to the point where a lot of those L's turn into W's and, and they should get over the hundred mark for sure. Yeah. And then for, for my, I guess, final where they end, I, I have, I'm going to safely and weekly, admittedly weekly say, I think that they will get to the ALCS. Oh yeah, my that's God. my, that's my final See, but, stand. But the reason that's so lame is because like, uh, cool. They, they got, they get to the ALCS again. Awesome. Congratulations. It would be it would be so lame and boring if that's all they did this year. I mean, you go to Game Seven and you lose to the um, maybe not the Astros, but the uh, Astros. You, know, you better hope it's not the Astros again. I I hope I do hope it is not the Astros for sure because that would be just the ultimate. Just you know, no matter who you get, where you're where you're a big brother, I guess because you know getting adding Soto and presumably adding another arm there. But I think the Yankees. Uh, are they're a force to be reckoned with. And I think that as long as they're all healthy and that's been the problem. And I think that, you know, the conversation that we kind of had in the pre-show about, you know, judge and Cole really getting involved more so in, in the team's decisions and whatnot will definitely come to uh, fruition this year. And I think it's going to be something that we'll have to watch in terms of not necessarily on field, but some of the stuff that Cole and judge are saying after the games, who they're talking to on the bench, you know, Cole is always one of those guys that's, He'll be in the dugout, you know, talking to the pitchers as they make their starts. So it's uh, it'll be interesting to see. I'm very excited for this this season, uh, as I'm sure many of us are. I actually, I'm actually looking to go down to uh to Tampa sometime in March to catch a couple of spring training games. As a matter of fact, interesting. Yeah, um, I was you know, honestly maybe maybe, maybe we weekend. should maybe we should look into uh whenever they do they get the Mets in uh in Tampa there. Yeah, maybe we can get one of those uh, marquee Jose Quintana against uh, Clark Schmidt starts. If we're really lucky, we could get a Mark Vientos autograph. <laughs> yeah, or a Ronnie Mauricio signed uh, uh, boot. Yeah, yeah. Or signed signed crutch. But all right, any, anything else you want to mention before we get out of here? Because I'm excited for baseball. And we're, we're going to update our record predictions as we go and as more news drops. Obviously, if the Yankees do sign Blake Snell, my – win projection as well as yours, I'm going to presume will go up and we'll obviously have that all covered if that does come out, but anything else you wanted to get to? No, I think I'm good. I'm a little less excited for the season than you, but we'll, we'll see when we get there. Yeah, we'll see. Oh, let me ask you this. Here's my last question. I'll ask you at what one to 10, what is the likelihood that the Yankees win at least 20 more games in the Mets? Like 10 being most likely, most likely being 10. Yep. I mean, eight and a half, nine. Really? Okay. I, I think I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, it should be something like that. Because, I mean, if I if I have the Mets under 80, then, yeah, I would I would hope. You know what's a, you know what we got to think about? And, uh, again, I'll, I'll let you think about it. Maybe we can exchange some sort of figure uh, after the show. But we should take a season-long mean you bet where we have a Yankee win versus Met win line. Like, Yankees need to finish the season with 25 and a half more wins than the Mets. <laughs> All right, I'm down for that, actually. That so, actually sounds like fun because that'll get me – I'll actually be able to sit there and watch my piece of garbage yeah. baseball team and be like, we got to pull this one out today. Yeah, maybe uh, – <laughs> yeah, like you'll be in the middle of uh, the end of August and it'll be just – the Mets will be, you know, scratching for their 80th win and you'll be like, <laughs> "I this is a huge one. And you'll be yeah. like, the only one in attendance. <laughs> you, you, and, you and Tank. With my scorecard. Yeah, with your yeah, with your scorecard and your slides. Yeah, yep. But all right. Uh if you got to this point, thank you all for listening. Hope you're all excited for 
all of the baseball to come. We'll definitely cover all the stories that spring training lends us. Uh, both teams in action this weekend. Knicks in action tomorrow night, a big game against the Celtics. We'll have it all covered. As always, thank you for listening and peace out.